Live from the Lincoln Douglas Building in downtown Quincy. The only local show taking a principled stand on the issues of the day. This is how it happens. It's the natural process of things. The view of the entrenched is predictable, but it's also erroneous. With Sean Seacrease. We have an addiction in this country, not only to government welfare and government handouts, but more fundamentally to other people's money. And Quaid. Again, you're dancing with government. This is the morning meeting. You cannot continue to advocate for status quo when status quo has run the ship aground. On Talk Radio 930, WTAD. Did you bring chocolate lava cake into the studio there for the show? Mm. No, I told you. But Brownie Fairy <laughs> came today. And it's a happy day. Uh, it's the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Thank you for mucking through your Wednesday with us here this morning. Dwayne Lester, DwayneLester.com, coming up on the morning meeting this morning. Dwayne uh, Quaid has been one of the discontent outspoken conservatives when it comes to the candidacy of Donald Trump. And with that in mind, we are going to have Dwayne on the show today, and we are going to go through point by point the release that Trump has made outlining his objectives for his first 100 days in office to see what a conscientious conservative like Dwayne Lester uh, thinks about those points. I mentioned yesterday on the show that there were some I disagree with right off the top, but on balance, I thought it was a good release from the Trump campaign. So in just about half an hour, we'll be talking about all those things with Dwayne Lester here this morning on the morning meeting. I I think that uh, Dwayne will agree with many of them, but here's where he's going to have his issue. This is where Dwayne's tension comes in is that I don't think he believes that Donald will follow through on those items. And that's an issue that that Dwayne has, I say you say with Donald Trump, but I would say with himself, that he thinks that Donald's just saying these things, and now I'm putting words in, in Dwayne's mouth before Dwayne arrives, but... Uh, well, you can't ba- put any words in your mouth. They got brownie got in them. Lovely brownie uh, from the brownie fairy uh, this morning. Uh, so just knowing how, you know, what Dwayne's perspective has been uh, over the last eight, six, eight months uh, since uh, Trump got the... Uh, nomination uh, that he's kind of been in this this I, I, I don't say he feels marginalized but kind of he feels kind of left left out of the whole process yeah left out I think is a, a great description because a lot of conservatives feel left out of this process and is it going to be the go into the box hold your nose in votes or is it going to be an abstention from the voting process I think you do the process a disservice uh, if you just stay home, coming up in a couple of Tuesdays from now. Latest battleground states, I wanted to take a quick look at this. Uh, looking at the projected numbers across both Republican projections and Democratic projections, you need 270 electoral votes to win the presidency. And they're looking at a solid slash leaning, I believe it's 157 for Hillary Clinton right now, and 77 for Donald Trump, based on the states that they put in the solid slash heavily leaning category. Mm-hmm. A lot of those states that uh, a lot of the electoral votes that Clinton is getting there come from two extremely large states that traditionally go Democratic in presidential elections, California and, and New York. New York. Yeah. So you kind of have that built in buffer uh, as a Democrat. So we'll see if the uh, Republican candidate, Donald Trump, is able to overcome that this time. But when we've 
looked at electoral maps, both ourselves and with other uh, experts here on the show, they have all said that it could come down to two or three battleground states. The third battleground state, usually Ohio, is what they have talked about. You've got a Republican governor there in John Kasich, very popular, lasted well into the fray for the Republican nomination, but didn't see eye to eye and didn't really have a good relationship with the eventual nominee in Donald Trump. And Kasich really hasn't been outspoken to try and help the Republican Party in Ohio. And looking at the numbers in that important swing state, an average of polls right now has Donald Trump up one. That is that is a slight lead, but it's it's better to be ahead in the ninth inning than behind. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the margin of error for all these polls is plus or minus three, so anything inside that number you can take with the ocean's largest grain of salt. Uh, but Trump seems to be up in most polls that are looking at Ohio right now, all very slim, two, one, one, three. Uh, only one poll, the Emerson poll, shows Clinton with a two-point lead. And that is in the uh, head-to-head numbers. So Ohio right now still looking like it's very much in play and could go either way. Uh, the other two, the main two that most battleground prognosticators are looking at to swing this election are Florida and Pennsylvania. In fact, in many map assessments, the whole thing could come down to what, what Pennsylvania does. Yeah, Pennsylvania has been the one that we've we've been talking about mostly, and based on the the last electoral map uh, that I saw, it's got Pennsylvania leaning uh, Hillary uh, as of right now. They don't have her solid for Hillary, but they have they have her leaning uh, towards Hillary right now. And I don't know if those are national, you know, if it's people within the state doing that polling or if it's the campaigns doing that polling. Uh, Pennsylvania is is an interesting uh, uh, place, along with Ohio. You could also throw uh, Michigan uh, into that, and Wisconsin uh, t- to a degree. These are these are places where a lot of manufacturing uh, used to occur. Used to occur, I think. Used to is the uh, italicized, bold, underlined phrase uh, in that statement. Looking at Pennsylvania right now, Clinton with a uh, slim margin. In most of the polls coming out of there, the margin, again, uh, plus or minus three, your margin of error. A lot of them have her right around three or four in Pennsylvania. And then in Florida, where both camps have been spending an enormous amount of time. Yeah. Th- this is the most interesting to me because it seems almost like a split. You have a couple of polls that say tie, a couple that have Clinton up a point or two, and a couple that have Trump up a point or two. So Florida is just all over the map. And now I can hear it right now. Wait a minute, yesterday, didn't we just spend almost an entire segment on why some of the polling amounts to nothing but propaganda because of how the polls are compiled? Yeah. It's still worth taking a look at what's going on because without getting into the real geek numbers inside the poll, have they been adjusting their looks? Is it is this the case in the most rosy Democratic prediction model. I think if this is the most rosy Democratic prediction model, then the Hillary Clinton campaign needs to get out, needs more fundraising, needs more engagements, and that's exactly what you're seeing. Trump announcing the other day that uh, they were winding down the fundraising events for the wider get-out-the-vote effort in the Republican Party. That while the Hillary camp has said they have 41 such fundraising events scheduled between now and November 4th with Hillary set to do one of those herself. That's coming up Tuesday in Miami. Again, a Florida state that's very much in play. So I found this was a little bit odd from the Trump camp to say that 
We're still doing some online fundraising, but our events for the wider get out the vote, vote Republican up and down the ticket effort have wound down. Uh, that is that is interesting. I think the RNC is kind of like, huh? Yeah, really? You're doing that now? Please know that it's all there is no fundraising off season for the DNC. They are always fundraising Uh Depending upon event to event, they will fundraise based off of news stories. There, there's never a time that the DNC isn't really asking for your your money. So to say that the the DNC is continuing, this is just what they do. So uh, that's there are two different things uh, going on there, two different perspectives. Uh, you, you have to say, okay, well, what is motivating them to wind to, to the Trump came to wind that down? Did they think that they've done the job? Did they think that? They haven't done the job, and there's no point in going on further. That's really what you want to get to is the why behind the reason for winding it down. Yeah, uh, the Trump spokesman uh, who was quoted in this article said that he had Trump is focused on making his final pitches to voter at campaign events rather than at fundraising stops over the next two weeks. So there's some merit. I mean, it's just their game plan right now. Yeah, and, and looking at this electoral map, uh, and this it's actually from uh, last night, uh, interesting to talk with Craig because we've we've been here before. We, we've noticed that the, there was a, a stretch that the Clintons or surrogates were were in Iowa making some pleas, and then they just kind of stopped. And if you look at the electoral map from last night, it's got Iowa as a toss up. And I think Craig Robinson would 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 say that that's a whole lot of hooey. That Iowa won't be a toss up. That it would lean solidly uh, GOP. Uh, this has Missouri leaning GOP, not solidly, on the Republican side uh, right now. Same I thing for Indiana, and the the vice presidential nominee is the governor of that state. I I looked at that with Missouri as well, and, and they had Trump up ten, and that the state was just leaning Trump ten <laughs> double digits is a pretty solid margin. Yeah. When you're looking at that. So these these are some numbers that you have to look past the headlines on to get down to the root of them. And when you when you start adding all of those up, that's when you really see, OK, we're going to have a couple of key battleground states that are going to decide this. If there are three, I think it's probably Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida. If it's two, it's Florida, Pennsylvania. And if it's just one, it could be either Pennsylvania uh, or Florida there, depending on uh, how one goes and will the other need to follow suit or is a split going to be good enough uh, based on the wider field at the time now you're getting down really into the minutia math we'll get a chance to do this uh, when we get closer to election day coming up here on the morning meeting all right last thursday we had the aaron baker missouri ballot projection talk mm-hmm. we'll take a look at what's a relatively short ballot if you're going to be voting uh, in and around Adams County, I've got the specimen ballot for my precinct from the Adams County Clerk's website. Uh, we'll talk about that as we continue this morning on the morning meeting. Where we go, others will follow. That's who we are. Even if it's not the best idea. The morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. This is Mark Levin, and you're listening to The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAG. I haven't drank it yet, 
I was gifted that the other day. And uh, it looks like the dessert beer of dessert beers. What? Pi- where, where was this picture taken? Uh, that was taken. That's in my living room there. I just had it set on the, the trunk right there. The little blue glows from the Indians game last night. Oh, okay. All right. I'm just uh, twisted around there. I, for whatever reason, I was trying to place this at your kitchen counter, and that's definitely not oh, your okay. kitchen counter. No, that's the that's the game. Then that's the table in the back. The horchata chocolate milk stout from Four Hands Brewery Ooh. in St. Louis. It's a bomber, but it's not just straight chocolate milk. It's chocolate milk stout with vanilla and cinnamon. Apparently, it sounds like the dessert beer of dessert beers. It, it, it sounds like it would go deliciously with the brownies. I know. That's why I, that's that why I showed you the picture. Delivered. They were delivered why did to you, the studio. That doesn't even count. I already ate the other ones. Okay, I had good. On the plate. <laughs> All right. Uh, I went for the mini quiche version of the brownies ooh, there. They're, they're loaded with surprises. I'm telling you. And uh, it's uh, kind of like this show each and every day here on The Morning Meeting. Dwayne Lester, DwayneLester.com, coming up in uh, a little less than 15 minutes on The Morning Meeting. So I grabbed a specimen ballot from the Adams County Clerk's Office uh, for my precinct for mm-hmm. Quincy. And I don't think this is going to vary much uh, precinct to precinct on this particular uh, November ballot. You're looking at uh, some judge issues, and, and judges don't run against each other. It's just, it, it's basically a retention vote is what you're looking at there. You know, you've got some county board issues. You have an unopposed uh, run for county coroner, kind of working backwards local up to the federal level because local is where you make your biggest impact. Uh, you have the race for Adams County Sheriff, and this is one that I hope we get the opportunity uh, to have more in-depth coverage of uh, here on the morning meeting this morning. Uh, State's attorney, you have Gary Farha running unopposed. Uh, Circuit clerk, uh, you have uh, Lori Geshwander running unopposed. You have Jill Reese uh, running unopposed for uh, superintendent of schools. Uh, So a lot of these things are just going to be sort of, I don't want to say moot point, but unless there is an enormously large and well-organized uh, write-in effort that I have not heard about nor even heard whispers about, then it looks like most of these things are going to be fait accompli. Uh, as for the uh, the actual races uh, that you're seeing, you're seeing the uh, 94th representative uh, up for grabs. That's Randy Freeze, who we have on the show as often as his schedule allows. Uh, Bobby Pritchett uh, running against him. Jill Tracy, no one running against her. Uh, for uh, state senator in the 47th. Uh, Comptroller, you have a a crowded field there. And then uh, representative for the 18th Congressional, that's Darren LaHood, Junius Rodriguez. Uh, We've covered that race quite a bit already here on the morning meeting. And then you've got U.S. Senator. This is the Kirk Duckworth race that we mentioned the other day. Summers and McMillan are in. We went over this, Quade, when we had the the responses that each candidate gave the AP about their top three things that they would do, their top three priorities. That was Monday. Uh, Should they get in office? I believe that was Monday's show. No, if you missed any of that, and then at the uh, also at the federal level, the presidential race, uh, we covered that pretty much every day right now the, here on the morning well, the meeting. Interesting thing here: presidential race. You've got uh, obviously uh, Clinton, Trump. You also have Johnson and Stein, uh, but you uh, beyond that, you just have write-in. So if you were if if, if let's if you get were thinking, it going. If you were thinking that Evan Evan McMullen would be a part of this, he is not. Oh, I thought we were this. just going to organize a write-in for the morning meeting. <laughs> well, A, you've told everybody before that you've wrote your own name in. I have before. But this would be like a three-way vote. You'd get all three of us. You'd get myself, you'd get you, and then we'd get producer Josh 
uh, and you get like a three-headed monster. I don't know exactly how that would translate because Josh is the is the producer. He's the mover and the shaker behind the scenes. He does the hard so, work. So I, that, that's what I was going to say. So do we share the seats at the uh, desk in the Oval Office, and, and he's chief of staff, or do we do like a three-headed monster? Because if we're going to translate we put three the show, chairs there. yeah, if we're going to translate the show into actual moving parts, I think that makes Josh the chief well, of staff. If we're going to be, if we're going to do the show exactly the way we do the show, then the two of us are seated in Josh's standing. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that, that's fine. He, there's a chair back there. It's not like we stripped him of his rights to no, a chair. No, there is a chair. No, this yeah. is also true. Yeah, it's by choice. Uh, by yeah. the way, uh, the, as far as the judges going, I wanted to throw this out there. Um, the, the judicial candidates uh, seeking retention, uh, also the uh, uh, 8th Judicial uh, Circuit for Adams County. Uh, remember, uh, Travis Aiken reminded IllinoisJudges.org mm-hmm. where you want to go to find out about uh, specific judges in specific areas because th- this has been brought to us before. Hey, how can we know? IllinoisJudges.org. And if you have personal experience, um, weigh that appropriately. I have had personal contact uh, over time with a couple of the judges on this list mm-hmm. and uh, for the most part have had excellent interaction with them mm-hmm. uh, of course I have not been in a position where I have been you know on trial for anything in front of them they are either personal interactions or other functions that judges fulfill uh, you know, weddings thing you know things you of that been, nature you haven't been on a jury either I have not been on a jury yeah. either so not here in Adams County I was rejected uh, from a jury pool while living in St. Louis uh, but that's about that's as close as I've come. I, I would have thought by now, I would have served in some capacity. But but somehow your name would have come up. Yeah, yeah. So that that, that just hasn't happened. Uh, the other amendment that you're going to see on the Illinois ballot. We went over the Missouri ballot with Aaron Baker last Thursday on the show. So grab that episode if you missed anything. This is the road construction lockbox amendment that has been getting quite a bit of publicity in the state of Illinois. It is literally a measure that would change, would amend the 1970 Illinois Constitution. This isn't just you're okay on a one-time spending measure. This isn't just ratifying a temporary sunset tax increase. This is actually the reworking of the Constitution in order to, quote, lockbox off some revenue that will always be used for road construction and road safety at this point. I'm not opposed to using tax dollars to improve roads. It's one of the few jobs that the government actually needs to be doing uh, to provide safe and secure transportation opportunities uh, for those who would use them. But I don't favor this amendment, Quade, and it's because it's a change to the Constitution and not just an amendment within the budget for a spending program. You lock this in. You lock. You get this three-fifths vote to go your way, and you lock this into the Constitution in perpetuity. Now when Illinois needs to spend some of this revenue on something else, you can't do it. You have this forever sectioned off, and you're essentially creating a constitutionally mandated jobs program for the construction industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked with Ben Yount uh, about this. And I and I understand uh, the state uh, continually is, A, a there's, we've run out of money. But B, 
there have been all of these promises made by government to fund certain areas that have gone unfulfilled. So people kind of feel like, hey, you didn't follow through on what you said, uh, but we do need these infrastructure things. There should always be money there for them. Some monies have been diverted from some areas. Some taxes for certain things have been have found their way to other things. And this is what people are upset about. And that's really that frustration is where this this ballot issue, this amendment comes from is that. But what you're talking about isn't the frustration. It's the after effects of what would happen if this if this did get uh, through. So this is why right now, as it sits, I am not in favor of this. Am I in favor of improving roads in Illinois? Absolutely. But manipulating the Constitution to ensure an in-perpetuity jobs program for construction it just doesn't make sense to me. This is something where th- this is where you have to have the reasonable adult conversation and say, this is what we want our representatives to get resolved in a budget. Right. Do the budget. Well, do and, your work. And, do your work and get this done. Don't go to adjusting the state constitution because you're unwilling to do the hard work in Springfield as our representative. So you have a, 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 a group of people who are trying to enact other people who, who have that who have a frustration mm-hmm. about not just this particular thing, but stuff like I just mentioned, right. where monies end up in areas where they weren't promised. This is the workaround. Right. This is the workaround. You're saying, in the way. We're going to do it ourselves. We don't, yeah, we don't need you because you're going to lie anyway. We're going to work around this. But please understand that they're still there. And if you think that the workaround will fix it, it just creates a whole new bunch of problems. What you want to be able to do is hold their feet to the fire to do what they were supposed to do when sent there in the first place. All right, this is going to be a contentious issue, and it's one that I think is going to be tighter at the ballot box uh, than you may realize. We're going to have someone on to talk about this issue and, and argue for it as we uh, are against it here on the show as it stands. So that's something that a discussion that we'll have most likely next week uh, as we lead up to voting day coming up on the second Tuesday in November. All right, on the way, Dwayne Lester, DwayneLester.com. Has Donald Trump's recent release on his plan for his first 100 days in office done enough to win Dwayne over? We'll make that the focus of our conversation next on The Morning Meeting. Giving conservatives a voice in the tri-states. I mean, this stuff moves people. It's The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. WTAD. Tell me that's not the best odds on the board in Vegas. It is. For that being what happened. It's the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Secret, squared alongside you. Speaking of odds uh, on the board, uh, Cubs big favorite tonight in uh, game two of the World Series. Uh, It's going to be Arietta and Bauer. If his finger stays attached. The, the Cubs fans uh, that I talked with yesterday, and there were a lot of them, uh, seemed to think that it didn't matter if they lost game one. If they lost game one, that was only going to be the difference in them winning the series in five games or six games. Well, I think that's what you have to tell yourself if you're the Cubs is we have seven chances to win four games. We didn't get that one last night. 
I just thought that was an interesting take mm-hmm. on uh, considering the pitcher who 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 was super sharp last night could pitch two more times. Yeah, and if you're going to watch that game tonight, remember they've moved up first pitch because of an expected storm coming into the Cleveland area. Mm-hmm. So they're going to first pitch that at like 6:05 our time. So it's going to be an early night there in Cleveland. Let me ask you this: if they, if the by the if, way, Dwayne Lester on hold just for okay. A second if here. the if the rain arrives early, but they're through five. Will they call World Series Game <laughs> Two an official game after five? With like Cleveland up one to nothing. Yeah, will they do that? I, I don't will think Major there's League any Baseball way. Major League Baseball stick it out to I don't where think they're finishing the game at two or three in the morning. I don't think there's any way you call that game short, even if they have to come back on what would be the travel day tomorrow. Okay. And do that. I don't think there's any way they're throwing call the that scenario game short. out there. All right, Dwayne Lester, DwayneLester.com with us this morning on the morning meeting. Dwayne, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Hey, we're excellent. Uh, you, we've been previewing this segment for a little while this week, and, and we're excited to get to it. You, as a conscientious conservative, have not been down with the Republican nomination of Donald Trump for president. So, and I'm putting that lightly, I know. Trump released his plan for his first 100 days in office uh, should he get elected. And we haven't gone over this sort of piece by piece yet. And we wanted to do this with you today, kind of as not only a a, a conservative thought exercise, but also to take people who are in the same uncomfortable spot that you find yourself in and see whether or not this kind of makes any difference. So are, are, are you ready for this? Lay it on me. Let's do this. All right. So Trump has laid out his uh, his uh, basically four page thing that he's going to do here uh, in his first 100 days. Should he get elected to office? Uh, The first propose a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on all members of Congress. I've said it before. I'm anti term limit, Dwayne. Yeah. um, When you when you look, this is simply red meat for his. uh, for the base, and there are a lot of people who support the idea of term limits. <clears throat> but when you when you look at this, at, at what it really is, it's yet again uh, the government using force uh, to limit a person's rights. Mm-hmm. Because why should I why should I have my right to choose what candidate I want to vote for uh, limited because the government says this person can't run anymore? Uh, that I don't I don't feel that's right. But more important, you know, that's important. But another aspect of term limits, and this is what we've seen in Missouri, is we have legislators who are very good, very principled, very uh, limited government minded uh, people who are then kept out of office after a few terms because of these term limits. And someone brand new comes in. Now, that institutional knowledge that this very solid conservative legislature legislator has built up over that time is now gone and the institutional knowledge in the in the house and the senate is is solely secured by the bureaucrats and the lobbyists and so that is who ends up having the real power in the house and the senate because these new the new blood comes in and they don't really know how to get things done as well as the bureaucrats and the lobbyists do so while it sounds good in theory to limit terms because we have people who've been in power for decades and decades, um, you have to look at what will be the unintended consequences. And the unintended consequences are removing the institutional power from people who support and, and share our beliefs and principles and giving it to those who are simply out to make a dollar and serve themselves. 
And people are effectively term limited once their constituency doesn't want them anymore and vote them out anyway. So take some responsibility for what's going on in your district and uh, make your vote heard. Uh, going over the uh, Trump plan here with Dwayne Lester, DwayneLester.com. Uh, he said he's also would uh, enact a hiring freeze on federal employees to reduce the size of the federal workforce through attrition, uh, i.e. people retiring and not being replaced. Uh, a reduction in government always sounds good. And then you kind of run into this frustration of actually having to deal with that reduced size of government. I am by no means uh, down with expanding or centralizing uh, more roles of government. But as a consumer who is forced to interact with government on a regular basis, you have to be ready for what these real world changes are going to bring about, Dwayne. Right. And, and the it's another idea that sounds good. Um, we're just going to put a hiring freeze. Well, then you get offices that actually serve a legitimate function of government who don't have people in them because you can't hire. And you have offices that don't serve a legitimate function of government who are overstaffed uh, because nobody quits these cushy jobs. It, it, it would seem more uh, logical to me to take a look at what government agencies don't belong and then get rid of people in those agencies. He's already talked about uh, all the places he's going to cut. Uh, you know, he could start, in, and this is his words, when he cuts the, the Department of Environmental, there's a lot of people there that are going to go, wherever that is. Dwayne Lester, DwayneLester.com with us this morning on the morning meeting. I'm going to group these two things together uh, because it's just going to be easier to take them that way. This is the flip side to what you talked about on limiting someone's ability to pursue employment uh, with term limits earlier. Uh, Trump said he would enact a five-year ban on White House and congressional officials becoming lobbyists after they leave government service and would force a lifetime ban if you're a White House official You'd be lifetime banned from lobbying the U.S. government on behalf of a foreign power or government. I understand your uh, financial freedom argument and your, your argument for economic freedom, but at, at the level in which we have insider knowledge, we have access to uh, extremely important state secrets and classified information, I think that you're not impinging upon people's freedom if there's some sort of reasonable restriction there. You know, there's a book uh, Peter Schweitzer wrote called Extortion that I think everyone should read. <clears throat> it's a it's a fantastic look at how things operate in D.C. And one of the things he talks about are people essentially. The term is that that's used in D.C. is cashing in, where they will they will serve in a, a capacity in government in some way, and then they will cash in by getting a job as a lobbyist or on K Street. And one of the examples they give are bureaucrats who will write just extremely ridiculously complicated regulations. And then once that regulation is put in place, they will quit their job and open a, a, a business as a consultant for $1,000 an hour to help, these, to help businesses understand these regulations. Um, and that's I, – I hate everything about that. It disgusts me. My position on this is if you really want to stop that – then limit government. If you really want to stop that, then stop creating all these opportunities for these people to cash in on what they've done in government. We've been debating this in Missouri also about about creating a you know a, a time when you leave government before you can become a lobbyist. And when you look at the proper role of government, which is something I talk about all the time, it is to secure rights. And what the government is doing in this in this instance 
would be saying, look, we've we've gone outside of, of our restraints here. We're working outside of, of what we're supposed to be doing. And that has created a situation where people are leaving their job and then becoming lobbyists. So we need to create another law to stop that. Well, it would be simpler. It would be better, in my opinion, not to create a law to use force on someone else to do something that is completely legal for them to do, it would make more sense to actually curb government so those opportunities don't exist. Dwayne Lester, DwayneLester.com with us this morning on the morning meeting. Uh, so you mentioned uh, the quit creating these overly complex laws. This uh, dovetails with one of the things Trump talked about, which is uh, enacting a requirement that for every new federal regulation, one would have to be eliminated. Now, this is something I've long been on, which is not just a, a, a tit for tat, but every my solution to this is kind of every fourth year, nothing gets passed. Things can only be repealed. And, and this keeps it from being the runaway jungle of red tape and bureaucracy that we're in right now. Uh, but this idea, whether or not it's one for one or a two for one, uh, I think that's a moot point. But the idea that we have to start cutting back on some of this red tape, as you were talking about, just don't put the overly complex situation in place to then give the opportunity for these sorts of things. I think this is something that, that isn't a new idea, but it might be germane to the conversation at this point uh, in the country's history. Absolutely. There, there are entirely too many regulations, and um, we need to look at how, how this is even being done. And there, uh, I'll recommend another book uh, to, to you and your listeners called By the People by Charles Murray. And he lays out how we got from a Madisonian republic, a very limited Madisonian republic, to where we are today. When you think about it, we actually have four branches of government now. We have the legislative, uh, the, the executive, uh, the uh, judicial, but we also have the regulatory. Because Congress has given uh, organizations like the EPA the power to write regulations that have the strength of law. They've given them the court systems to, to judge whether you've violated these regulations, and you've given them a police force to enforce these regulations. So we need to actually go back and look at maybe curbing the powers that these uh, agencies have, maybe pass some, some, new regula- some new laws that don't allow them to write regulations with the power, because these are essentially laws. Okay, regulation is essentially a law, mm-hmm. and that's supposed to originate in the House and you know in the Congress, and that that's not right. So I have no I have no problem with regulations being pulled back. I think we also need to look at, the, at how much power we've given these agencies and cut back on that. Dwayne Lester, Dwayne Lester got Tom. I know Quaid has a couple things from the legislative package uh, that he wants to get to, but just one more thing, real quickly here. Pro or against, with with your stance right now and several of the trade deals that the U.S. finds itself in, Trump has said that he wants to withdraw from TPP and intends to renegotiate NAFTA. Uh, The NAFTA one has just become sort of part and parcel of everyday life, it seems, in the U.S., that uh, we're bound into this. And you would have thought that he was claiming the earth was flat when he said he wanted to look at renegotiating NAFTA. Uh, Is this something that we should just continue to live with, or is it maybe time to, to do these things? I, I sincerely doubt that Trump even knows what TPP is. I think that he's probably been given the idea to be against it by his uh, his consultants, but I, I would love to see him explain what TPP is, what it does, and why he's against it. So at this point, all I know is that he knows his, his supporters are against it, and so therefore he thinks it's a bad deal. Uh, I can't think of any, any uh, interview where he's explained why he's against it other than in his usual 
you know, Trump-like. It's a really bad deal, and it's 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 really awful and, you know, very surface-level thinking. Uh, NAFTA, I'll be honest. I, I have not looked at, at what that does closely enough to say whether it's a good deal or a bad deal. I know that in 92, Ross Perot said that there was a great sucking sound, and that was all our jobs going south of the border. And, you know, you could make the argument from a strictly economic point of view that if things are being manufactured for less in a foreign country, then that ultimately benefits us because we're getting products for less in this country. So other than that, I, I'm hesitant to speak on that. Okay, well, see, now I'm going to lead you to the the congressional uh, end of this, where he has the, uh, the ending of the Offshoring Act uh, that will establish a tariff to discourage companies from laying off uh, workers in order to relocate to other countries and then ship their products back uh, to the United States tax-free. Again, there, there are people who love that idea, but it is just idiotic. And what, what, what this does is this protects a, a certain class of people. This protects the, the people who are working at the factories in America. Okay, this, this, is a, this would be a law that secures their jobs at the expense of everyone else in the country because everyone else will be buying things from that factory at a higher price than they would if it were, if it were produced somewhere else. So what they're essentially saying, what that law essentially says is we are securing by force a higher standard of living for these people, and we're also going to create a lower standard of living for the rest of the country because we feel that we should protect these people. That is is not right. So I will have to spend more to buy a product just to make sure that this person has a job. I, I don't I don't agree with that. Another one is the American Energy and Infrastructure Act, which would leverage public-private partnerships and private investments through tax incentives to spur a trillion dollars in infrastructure investment over 10 years. Uh, they say it's revenue neutral, public and private uh, together. Well, the thing about that is very often there are uh, private organizations, and you see this, you see this all the time. The, the state does not build roads. The state hires private companies to build roads. So essentially you could say that's a public-private partnership. Okay. Uh, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. What you need to watch out for there are, you know, is the corruption, the, the cronyism, the bribery, uh, the pay-to-play, that sort of thing. So the, the, there, there are things that the private sector does <laughs> a lot better than the public sector is going to do. So the idea that we're going to have private companies working in partnership with, with the government that's something we do every day already. Dwayne Lester, DwayneLester.com with us this morning on the morning meeting. Disaffected uh, conservative right now. Is, is that a fair term? Somebody who's not excited about the options that you see in front of yourself at the ballot box on the federal level? No, I'm not excited at all. Uh, you know, when you look at when you look at both of them, <laughs> I get in arguments all the time, and I, I can't count the number of, of people who have unfriended me or, you know, just lashed out at me in different ways. Uh, but I, there's not a whole lot of difference, in my opinion, between uh, Trump and Hillary, um, and, and I'll catch hate for saying that. But when I look at Trump's economic policies, they, they're dangerous to America. When I look at Hillary's economic policies, they're dangerous to America. Um, so I, I, I'm sickened by, by this choice. And my best option right now, and this is sad, is to vote 
third party in hopes that maybe the Libertarian Party gets 5% and, and they have a better chance coming up. Um, I, I don't know. I can't imagine what's going to happen after this election. Will, will Trump then go on and start his own party? Is he, is he more focused on starting a TV network? Is he going to take all these uh, Trump supporters with him and will we be able to start anew in the GOP? I don't know. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a sad year for me. We've certainly had more political parties in our country's history than just Republican and Democrat, but they're the two long-term definitive parties that have stood the test of time. Is this country, Dwayne, in your estimation, ready to look like some of the European countries that we want to emulate, according to liberals and so many other things, socialized medicine and so forth, or are we ready for a Trump-style populist party? Are we ready for a hard conservative party? Are we ready for the People's Labor Party that's an offshoot uh, from the Bernie Sanders ideology of the Democratic tent, and now we have pluralities in elections and on issues rather than majorities? I think that there are a lot of people in both Democrat and Republican Party who are disgusted with their choices this year and, and look and are looking around to someone, um, you know, like a Gary Johnson, like a like a Jill Stein or even, a, a you know, an Evan McMullen. And there, there could be a chance. We've seen this trend more and more towards uh, the libertarian ideals. There could be an opportunity here if there ever was one for a third libertarian party to finally uh, get some traction. The problem is, is I don't know how well organized the, the leadership with the Libertarian Party is. It seems like so often they're just trying to, to <laughs> they're, they're kind of in the back waving their hands saying, look at us, look at us, but they don't really organize that well on a national level. So I don't know how, how serious they're taking it. If that were to happen, it would need some, somebody in leadership at any of those parties who is able to organize on a on a state and national level and i don't know that they have that right now Dwayne lester dwaynelester.com you never know it might be the Dwayne lester party coming up after this election cycle we'll see where he takes it Dwayne, thanks for the insights and the conversation appreciate it my pleasure guys take care Dwayne lester with us this morning on the morning meeting we'll wrap it up next on wtad where we go others will follow that's who we are even if it's not the best idea the morning meeting on talk radio 9 30 wtad Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and you're listening to The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. If you find yourself in the same headspace as Dwayne Lester, well, maybe some of what uh, we talked about may ease or uh, might even increase some of your tension as you go to the ballot box this morning. No time to get to this. Quaid, a Canadian researcher, now picks the canoe as the new symbol of genocide, theft, and white privilege. Canada just adopted the canoe as one of their national symbols. We'll figure out what's wrong with that. What? Yeah, I know. That's going to do it for us. We'll get out of here. More Morning Meeting coming up tomorrow. Morning Meeting adjourned. Join us again tomorrow for the best talk in the tri-states. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD.